Hello and welcome back to the Devin Rogers Experience Podcast, where we talk about some of my favorite albums and some of my favorite songs by some of my favorite bands. Today, we're going to be doing a look back on the great career of the band known as Pink Floyd. They're my all-time favorite band, and I think they have made the most timeless rock and roll in the 20th century, maybe the most timeless uh, popular music of all time. I think their impacts on art cannot be cannot be minimalized. It is profound how much they've impacted music and art in general. When I look back on the work they've done, I think it's Shakespearean. I think it's here to stay. It will last for hundreds of years because of just how profoundly and how deeply Pink Floyd was able to relate to everyone that listened to them. Much of their work, when I think about it, it deals with life, and it deals with death. It deals with time. It deals with every single facet of life. So to get the podcast rolling, I'm going to play a little bit off their most famous album, Dark Side of the Moon. I'm going to play the first track called Breathe in the Air, just so all the listeners can get a feeling of what their music sounds like. All right, here it is. Begins with a wailing baby cry. I love the way that the bass bounces around on this track. Now this album, Dark Side of the Moon, it truly does tell the story of life, and that's what the writers of the album wanted to convey. This song is about being born. With the scream, the crying, the wailing in the beginning, it's supposed to symbolize being born and being brought into a new world that's unfamiliar and just the sonic vibes from the album from this song it really feels like a fresh breath of air like you're breathing in the air that's all around you when you're born it feels like a new experience listening to this song yeah just based off that little riff of breathing the air off dark side of the moon you can feel the type of band that they are. They're a earthly band. They're a, they make music that can appeal to a lot of people. And I hope uh, by me showing you a little bit of each of their, a little bit of uh, some of my favorite albums of theirs, that you'll be able to understand that the music they make is timeless. It's 100% relatable to anyone that listens to their music. So I'll start off talking a bit, little bit about the band's history. Um, the main leader of the band is named Roger Waters, and he helped form the band. The band originated in, uh, England, and that's where all the members are from. Roger Waters, he went to, uh, an architecture school, and he always had an artistic mind. He was always playing music when he was a child. Um, he focused a lot on guitar, and when he was in college, he decided he wanted to make a band. Um, so we found a few members. One of them was Nick Mason, who would uh, eventually 
uh, become the drummer for what we know as Pink Floyd. Roger Waters and Nick Mason, they had a few other uh, bandmates throughout their time in college that would not uh, make the final cut of Pink Floyd, but together they helped Roger Waters and Nick Mason, they helped each other uh, become better musicians. They uh, found uh, a, solid forma- a solid foundation of what Pink Floyd would later become. One of my favorite stories of Roger Waters in college is I remember hearing him in an interview talk about when he was in class one day, in architecture class, he noticed that the professor was reading straight out of the book in his class and literally just writing down from the book onto the board what he thought was important. And Roger confronted the professor about this and said, why are you doing this? This isn't worth my money to come to class if you're just going to read it off exactly what's from our textbook. And the guy said, well, if you don't like it, then you can leave. And so Roger did leave, and he left college to pursue being a musician full-time. With Nick Mason, he also recruited another musician for the band named Sid Barrett. Sid Barrett would uh, become the guitarist and lead vocalist for the band, but Sid Barrett had many mental health issues. Um, He was uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia and... Um, was very out of touch with reality. From the early stages of the band, it was it was not as noticeable, um, his mental health issues. But as time progressed, he became a drug addict who would experiment with um, compounds such as LSD that greatly deteriorated his mind. He did this, he did LSD every morning for a year. Um, unbeknownst to him, people were drugging him for a year. And that led to the deterioration of his mind. But Roger, Sid Barrett, Nick Mason, and the added addition of their new keyboardist, Richard Wright, they made a lot of great music together in uh, the early days of Pink Floyd. The first album, Richard Wright, Sid Barrett, Nick Mason, and Roger Waters recorded is entitled The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Now, this album, the first first full Pink Floyd album, to be honest, it's not really my favorite Pink Floyd album. Um, you know, they were just getting off to their start, um, finding themselves creatively, and the main creative force behind the band was Sid Barrett. Um, it wasn't Roger Waters who, who it would later become, Roger Waters, the bass guitarist. Um, no, it was Roger Waters... Uh, eventually switched over from guitar to bass guitar when Sid Barrett joined, so Sid could play lead guitar. But The Piper at the Gates of Dawn, it's a very strange album. And the first song is entitled Astronomy Domine. And this song, uh, Roger Waters claims, kind of made the band have a drug band image, meaning that people were going to their concerts to experiment on drugs. But... Uh, according to Roger Waters, it, this is far from the case of um, their identity as a band. They, they were never truly a drug band besides for Sid Barrett's obvious uh, addiction issues. But it's it, like I said, it's a very strange album. Um, doesn't sound anything like uh, their albums in the 70s. I believe this album was released in August 1967. Yep, it was released in the United Kingdom in August 1967, um, I believe later in the U.S., but 
very strange album. Their second album to be released is called A Saucer Full of Secrets. Very strange as well. Um, I like it a little bit more than uh, The Piper at the Gates of Dawn, but still very, very strange. Um, I'll play a, a quick snippet of a song from um, A Saucer Full of Secrets. Also, during A Saucer Full of Secrets, they the band found a new guitarist who would eventually replace Sid Barrett as Sid Barrett's health deteriorated. Uh, the guitarist's name is David Gilmore, very famous now, my absolute favorite guitarist in the world. But they recruited him for A Saucer Full of Secrets. I think he played maybe one or two songs on the album. Um, but he was there along with Sid Barrett who and they both shared guitar playing duties on the album this song is called set the controls for the heart of the sun in the 60s there were many bands that were exper experimenting with a sort of indian sound or uh asian sound to their uh rock and roll you can definitely tell that Pink Floyd was experimenting with an Indian sound here as well. Now, to be honest, I haven't really listened to Saucer Full of Secrets as much as their other early albums, but I did put it uh, put the record on my record player one time and cannot believe the last song in the album and what it sounded like. This song is called Corporal Clegg, and I'll play a little bit of the last album of the last uh maybe 30 seconds of the song, just so you can hear how wacky it truly is. It has a kazoo solo, and when I heard it, I was... I, I can't really describe how I was feeling. It was just very strange. All right, here's Corporal Plague. Yeah, and you can tell just by listening to that, it's not what a guy that likes hard-hitting rock and roll uh, would prefer to listen to. And that's me. That's not my typical style of music that I would like to listen to. It's very weird. I wouldn't If I was a rock and roll musician playing in a band, I don't think I would ever incorporate a kazoo solo into my songs. After A Saucer Full of Secrets, Pink Floyd would record another album called Umaguma, and I would recommend to whoever's listening to look at the album artwork because I'm looking at it right now in my hands, and it's one of my favorite pieces of album artwork I've ever seen. There's a picture of a, of a mirror in the album artwork, and it's each of the band members sitting down, and it, the mirror goes uh, in about four or five times, and... In each uh, mirror, there's a different bandmate sitting in a in a chair in the same exact position in a room. The album is mostly previous songs that were recorded live. Um, a Saucer Full of Secrets is one of the songs. Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun appears again. Astron Astronomy Domini appears again. And I think uh, this song is an exclusive to Uma Guma. It's called Careful With That Axe, Eugene. It's a live song. No lyrics 
just a wailing instrumental that is very psychedelic in nature. Psychedelic in nature is probably the best phrase you can use to describe Pink Floyd's music. Um, they were really inspired by Sid Barrett's insanity and, and his madness. And you can tell that the theme of madness occurs throughout much of their music once they truly found their groove. After A Saucer Full of Secrets, I forgot to mention that this is when Sid Barrett left the band permanently. Um, one day when they were on tour, the band, uh, who is now Roger Waters on bass guitar and vocals, David Gilmore on lead guitar and vocals, Richard Wright on piano, keyboard, organ, and then Nick Mason, who was on drums. They were going on tour, riding around in their car throughout England, and the tour was about to start, and David Gilmore asked one of them, asked one of his band members, I believe it was Richard Wright, and he said, should we go pick up Sid Barrett from his house? And then one of them said, no, it's not even worth it because of how deteriorated his mental health was. And it's sad because he had such a unique style of music and a lot of people wanted to see what he would become later on in his life. But Sid Barrett, after 1973, wouldn't, wouldn't record any music after that. He basically became... Um, a vegetable, a walking vegetable that didn't do anything besides paint a little bit and um, attend to his garden. He was looked over by his sister as his caretaker. Very sad story about how schizophrenia and um, drug addiction can hurt someone's life. So throughout mo most of the 1960s, Pink Floyd didn't have a lot of commercial success they weren't being played as much in the U.S. as they were in the U.K., which was still relatively little airplay. They weren't making very much money, and their music wasn't reaching a large audience like they wanted it to. But I think they truly started finding their uh, stride. They truly hit their stride once the album Adam Hart Mother in 1970 was released. Pink Floyd is always known for their uh, interesting, their over-the-top or sometimes even simplistic album artworks. The front of this album is a cow in a pasture, and that's it. It's just a cow uh, with its butt and udders facing uh, the the front of the album, and the cow is looking back at uh, the, the photographer. Very strange, and the back is... The backside of the album is three cows looking at um, the photographer. Very simple, very plain album artwork, but I think it fits the album's uh, sonic vibes very well. I'll play a little snippet of Adam Hart Mother, which is the title track of the album, Adam Hart Mother. The album starts with a brass section of horns. And then it comes in with this loud rock beat right here. I love it. It sounds very heroic and victorious. It reminds me of a song that would be in a movie with a... A story of a medieval knight defending a castle. I don't know, I get very uh, 
heroic vibes from this song. The person who, uh, in the band who wrote the, the majority of this album is actually the drummer Nick Mason. Later on uh, in the band's history, it would be an album that is talked about with disdain, and I don't really understand that. I've heard the uh, lead bassist, Roger Waters, talk uh, in... I've heard Roger Waters talk in interviews that he doesn't like the album as much as others. But to me, I think it's a great album. There's a lot of good songs on there. And if you just put the record on your record player, flip it once, it's a great so- It's a great couple songs on that record. I love it. N- nothing bad on there to me. Adam Hart Mother was a very defining point in the band's history. When they released it, it didn't do well uh, critically. Didn't have uh, a lot of good reviews on it. And at the time, the band was like, should we stop making music? Is this where we stop? Because this might have been the best we can make. But luckily for the world, they continued making music. And in 1971, they released their next album, Metal. This is the opening track off Metal called One of These Days. Another Nick Mason original song. Features no lyrics besides at the end, Nick Mason comes in with a distorted voice saying, One of these days I'm going to chop you up into little pieces. (laughs) Very weird. I think all it is on bass guitar is, it's based off two notes the whole song. The same strumming pattern, that's throughout the whole song. Eventually at the end it picks up though with an awesome drum breakdown right here. Very hard hitting song. This song off metal is called Echoes and I think it's Pink Floyd's first true epic song. After the album Metal, they would go on to release many epic songs that span 20 plus minutes. Metal sits at 23 and a half minutes. And I saw someone on a YouTube video comment that this song is like time. It echoes like time going through the earth. And I couldn't think of a better way to describe it. It's a beautiful song. Obviously, I can't play the whole song because it would be just as long as this podcast should be. But the chorus features uh, a section that sounds eerily similar to uh, the theme from The Phantom of the Opera. And it's funny because many people think that the composer for The Phantom of the Opera copied... That uh, Pink Floyd copied the composer, but it's actually the other way around. Um... I don't think he actually copied Pink Floyd, but the the main uh, the main chorus for Echoes was released before the Phantom of the Opera. If you know the Phantom of the Opera, uh, it goes de 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 do 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 That's uh, that little rhythm there and melody is repeated a lot throughout the theme of the Phantom of the Opera. So I'll show you a bit of Echoes to um, contrast the two themes. Here we go. Here's the chorus. (laughs) 
Boo doo 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 boo. That's why people think it sounds so much like the Phantom of the Opera, and it does. Great song, very long, a lot of repetition in the song. And then it comes to a breakdown point here, a nice little groove in section. Metal is probably the first great Pink Floyd album. It set the stage for the rest of their albums to come. Um, songs about life, songs that will stand the test of time. Metal is the first Pink Floyd album, I think, that is truly a masterpiece. As you might know, I play drums, and I also play bass guitar. And I have had many musical inspirations from various sources throughout my life. People around me, people that I listen to in music. And if I could say that I have one uh, major influence on my bass playing, it's definitely Roger Waters of Pink Floyd. His bass playing, it's, it's not anything too complex. He's definitely a greater writer and lyricist than he is bass player. But his bass playing is just so phenomenal. In music and in art in general, sometimes you can do more with less. And I think this is exactly what Roger Waters does with his bass playing. It's funky, it's groovy, but at the same time, it's never really too complex. But that's exactly what Pink Floyd needed. So, I think most people would agree that what makes Pink Floyd a great band is a mixture of Roger Waters' creative genius and lyrics, along with the absolutely emotional playing by David Gilmour on guitar. When I listen to some of his guitar solos, they tell stories. They almost bring me to tears. They have brought me to tears before. When I listen to his guitar solo in the song Time, Off Dark Side of the Moon, it feels like a slow ride to work, a slow car ride to work after you're tired after a, another night of work. It just, his guitar solos bring you to a point of relatability and deep understanding of what he's feeling and what the band is trying to convey with their songs. And Roger Waters' lyrics are probably, they are my favorite lyrics of any band. And I think they're my favorite writing of anything poetry, literature, movies. He, his writing for his songs is profound, and he does it in such a way that it's you never don't know what he's saying. You always can identify what he's trying to convey. And what he says is the truth. And what he says is profound. But he does it in such a way that speaks to you like... It's a seeker of the earth that everyone already knows what he's sharing with you in his lyrics and his music. So after the record Metal was released, they found pretty good commercial success. Um, the album was favored by critics, and they would tour for most of 1971 and 1972. And they were a band that was playing almost every day around the world nonstop. And this had a toll on uh, the bassist Roger Waters, as would be evidenced in 
the subsequent album after Metal, Dark Side of the Moon, their most famous album. Dark Side of the Moon is one of the best-selling albums of all time. It's been certified 14 times platinum in the United Kingdom, and it has been charted in the U.S. Uh, billboard for 950 weeks total. Its estimated sales are over 45 million, and the album helped make all four of its members, David Gilmore, Roger Waters, Richard Wright, and Nick Mason, it helped make these four young men incredibly rich and famous. To put its greatness in even more of a perspective, in 2013, it was selected for preservation in the National Recording Registry by the Library of Congress in the United States for being deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Now, the cover of Dark Side of the Moon is very minimalist. It's a black album with a triangle in the middle, and the triangle is black as well, the same shade of the re as the rest of the album, but white, a white border makes up the triangle, and on the left side of the triangle comes in a white line, and on the right side of the triangle comes out a rainbow. And this is just, anyone that has seen this album knows exactly what it is and knows the greatness that comes with it. This song is called On The Run. And with Dark Side of the Moon being a concept album, an album that tells a story, this song is about Roger Waters' fear of flying. When they were on tour, they would have to fly pretty much to every uh, concert or gig that they would play at. And the feeling of the feeling of fear and the possible death that could happen to the band at, when they were flying it made Roger Waters fear so much and this fear inspired the song on the run and just by listening to it it's very eerie eerie and it makes you feel like something is coming up on you and I'll play a little bit more of it I'll I'll, I'll be quiet very uneasy. Now the next song on the album is called Time. And, you know, it's not hard to describe the song and what it's about. It's about time. The song has one of the most famous intros. Here it is. One can feel the, with all those alarm clocks, it's like the many days that you have to wake up to a loud alarm clock, they all come in at once when you listen to time. And all those alarm clocks at once symbolize the, the, the repetitiveness of having to wake up to an alarm clock every morning. And that is what defines your early morning. And then this amazing intro with uh, Nick Mason playing these roto toms, a certain drum that if you twist it, and uh, it changes the pitch of it. One of the most memorable Pink Floyd intros to a song. 
So here's a little bit when the lyrics pick up and the song picks up. Amazing rock and roll song. As I said before, the lyrics are just amazing. Um, the main inspiration from this song came from when Roger Waters got the idea when he realized he was no longer preparing for anything in life. That this is what life is. You get thrown into it. There's no second chance at it. You have one shot to do something in life. And this is what that song conveys. I'm not going to play the whole song. I would certainly love to because it's one of my favorite songs of all time. I'll read aloud some of the lyrics. Tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. You are young and life is long and there is time to kill today. And then one day you find ten years have got behind you. No one told you where, when to run. You missed the starting gun. Wow. Like, <laughs> it gives me chills just how powerful those lyrics are and backed behind them is a, an amazing guitar solo that I have I have to play this guitar solo for you here it is Skip forward a little bit. When it goes down a pitch here. Listening to, listen to the amazing chorus. The choral section. The singers. He tells a story with his playing, David Gilmore does. There's so much emotion to his playing. Oh my gosh, it's so amazing. Yeah, you run and you run and catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. Every year is getting shorter, never seem to find the time. Plans that either come to naught or half a page of scribbled lines. Hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. The time is gone, the song is over, thought I'd had something more to say. And, you know, time, <laughs> just like the previous uh, verse describes, time slips by. And there is something I, you, in life, there's always something you ha thought that you had something more to say. Um, the outro of this song is pretty much the exact same riff and uh, melody as Breathe. It is the same melody as Breathe, the first song on the album. Um, and it's a great finish to this uh, song. This song is called The Great Gig in the Sky. It's the last song on the first side of the dark side of the moon. And the song is about death. 
and it's a beautiful song. Listen to that bass. The song started as just keyboardist Richard Wright messing around in the studio, but then Roger Waters thought adding a singer to the song, a gospel singer, would make it even better, and this is what they had. This woman who came in to record these vocals is named Claire Tory, and when she came in to record the, the, the vocals for this song, it was late at night, she came in with uh, her hair curled up, uh, almost ready for bed, but the, the band's manager managed to track her down in London, and she recorded these vocals to this album. And listen to the emotion that she sings with there's no lyrics it's just it's just singing straight from the soul and she's just seeing all this oh baby yeah um and it's beautiful and when she came out of the recording session the band didn't say anything to her they were stunned they were just absolutely stunned with how beautiful she was able to sing that and she thought they were being rude to her, like they didn't uh, have anything to say to her, but really they were stunned with the performance in this album, or this song in the album. An absolutely beautiful song, a perfect ending to side one of Dark Side of the Moon. The next song on Dark Side of the Moon is Money. Now this song, it's about money and what it does to people has one of the most rocking and memorable, recognizable bass lines. This song is in an odd time signature. Most songs we hear on the radio are in a time signature known as 4-4, where the bass drum lands on beats one and three, and the snare drum or where you would clap is on beats two and four. Since this song is in seven four, it can be kind of confusing to listen to and even to play to, but the fact that it's in seven four makes it so much more memorable and distinguishable as its own song. So it's got most of this uh, rocking bass line and uh, lyrics about what money does to people throughout the song. And then eventually we get a, uh, a guitar solo, but before that is a beautiful saxophone solo I'll play a little bit of. Here it is. We get that saxophone, and then after that we get the guitar solo coming in. Right here. Right here, it switches from 7-4 to 4-4. Four, four. Boo, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And then at the end, it goes back to 
Money's the root of all evil today. What a story. The next song on the album is called Us and Them. This is it. Very laid back song. It's just talking about the differences in, uh, from people to people. And really how people are more similar than they are different. Us and Them is the title of Roger Waters' 2019 movie of his live concert of some of his songs from Pink Floyd and his solo career. Very laid back song. After Us and Them is the song Any Color You Like. Just a jam song, really. The band made this song on stage. They were, they, uh... The inspiration came when they were just jamming on stage at a concert. And throughout their 1971 and 1972 tours, each time they would play this song live, they would have uh, more ideas and more things to add to it. So I think that's kind of cool that, you know, they were able to come up with this song. And they did that for most of the album, actually. Came up. The inspiration from it and the writing came live. Now the second to last song on the dark side of the moon is Brain Damage. This song just talks about insanity and it's inspired by Sid Barrett, their first guitar player. And their lyrics and sonically what they're what the band is playing it matches the lyrics perfectly with every one of their songs this song is no exception to that and here in this song we get the actual lyrics the dark side of the moon Side of the moon. Yep, Dark Side of the Moon summed up here in this song. The song fades into an outro called Eclipse. Wild, jamming uh, song to perfectly end an album. An epic masterpiece of an album. It basically, the song Eclipse talks about many things that are frequent in life that everyone shares. And it talks about how it might just be meaningless. The album fades with the same way it started, a heartbeat. And this, song, this album will stand the test of time. I truly believe in 500 years, people will still be listening to it, analyzing it like the works of Shakespeare. Pink Floyd is very well known for their live performances, where there's intense, crazy lights, uh, colorful lights, and animations playing in the background. The stage is always uh, a center for Pink Floyd to show off not only their music, but their visual design. It's all they they've always had such a strong visual design to them just based off their album artworks, their live performances. They've no, they've been known to have puppets on stage, uh balloons, 
that would come up later in their album Animals. Um, after Dark Side of the Moon was released, they started using and relying on their visuals a lot. Um, some would even say that the visuals would detract from their live performances, that the music was enough, that they didn't need uh, visuals to supplement their music because the music was already so great as it was. But nonetheless, these visuals were always there to accompany the live performances of Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd would follow up The Dark Side of the Moon with the 1975 album Wish You Were Here. Now, this album is equally as epic as Dark Side of the Moon. I wouldn't call it as much of a masterpiece, even though it is a masterpiece. I wouldn't call it as much of a masterpiece as Dark Side of the Moon. But that's not to say that it's not amazing, because it is absolutely amazing. Um, it only has five songs, uh, Shine On You Crazy Diamond, parts one through five. After that is Welcome to the Machine, um, a song about how society is a machine and uh, everyone gets trapped into that machine. Um, also, Shine On You Crazy Diamond is a ode to Sid Barrett, um, a song basically stating um, how great he was and um, he tried to seek the answers of life too soon is one of the lyrics by uh, experimenting with drugs, and that was ultimately his downfall. Um, after that is the song Have a Cigar on Me, which deals with Pink Floyd's um, dealings with managers, the commercialism of the music industry, about how these people just want to take their money um, for their art and how dirty the music industry can be. One of my favorite lyrics from Have a Cigar on Me is... Um, by the way, which one of you is pink, which is said from the perspective of a, a music industry business person, <laughs> which one of you is pink? Uh, none of them is pink. That's the name of their band. <laughs> it's just a funny lyric. Um, after uh, Have a Cigar on Me is the title track, Wish You Were Here, which I will now play a little bit of. It's a beautiful acoustic guitar riff right here. This is one of their most famous songs, probably their most famous song outside of Dark Side of the Moon and The Wall, which is their last album that they would record uh, as a masterpiece, I believe. So while they were recording Wish You Were Here, they were touring nonstop. So pretty much from 1971 until the end of 1977, they toured non-stop. And this is intense touring. Every day they're playing a gig. And it rarely let up for them. And it started taking a toll on Roger Waters. Um, you can see just in his lyrics that uh, sort of depressive, uh, nihilistic gloom uh, overcomes him. Um, but at the same time, this nihilistic gloom inspires so many of his songs. When Pink Floyd wasn't touring and promoting Wish You Were Here in 1975 and 1976, they were writing and recording material for their next album, Animals. Animals is another one of Pink Floyd's masterpieces. It only has five songs, Pigs on the Wing Part 1, Dogs, Pigs, three different ones, Sheep, and then the fifth song, Pigs on the Wing Part 2. Um, it's another epic album full of... Uh, amazing sonic vibes i personally struggle between thinking whether the dark side of the moon animals or the wall are my favorite pink floyd albums they're all great 
Um, what Roger Waters does in animals is he writes and personifies people onto animals. So each song is about a different animal, but he is trying to talk about how people are this said animal and how their actions and behaviors relate to animals. The opening lines of the song Dogs are, you gotta be crazy, you gotta have a real need, you gotta sleep on your toes, and when you're on the street, you gotta be able to pick out the easy meat with your eyes closed. And then moving in silently, downwind and out of sight, you gotta strike when the moment is right without thinking. And after a while, you can work on points for style, like the club tie and the firm handshake, a certain look in the eye and an easy smile. You have to be trusted by the people that you lie to so that when they turn their backs on you, you'll get the chance to put the knife in. So what Pink Floyd, more specifically what Roger Waters writes here is you got to be a dog to make it in life. You have to be able to bite the hand that feeds. So when they turn their back on you, you'll get the chance to put the knife in. That's what he's saying. That those two stanzas of this song tell more of a story about life than I think all of the dark side of the moon does, really. It, they're just so profound in just a few, in 10 or 11 lines, it tells so much about what life is. The next song, Pigs, three different ones, is basically telling about how politicians can be like pigs. And, you know, I think it's a pretty apt uh, comparison. They, they're people that uh, get dirty, get their hands dirty in their work. And more frequently, um, when Roger Waters performs this song live, he's had images of politicians such as Donald Trump um, appearing on stage on a screen um, to show just how um, politicians can be compared to pigs. Starting in 1977, when Pink Floyd would promote animals, they would use an inflatable pig that would go around the audience and just float above the audience while they played the song Pigs. And it's been used at most of Roger Waters' uh, subsequent performances after this. Along with this, the album artwork is very uh, interesting as well. The, the inflatable pig appears above two smokestack factories in London, and I'm holding the record in my hand. It's a beautiful-looking record. Uh, I can't tell if it's a painting or a photograph. I think it, it's probably a photograph, but it's, uh, it just looks like how you would imagine the 21st century society to be uh, industrial. And the album conveys this uh, industrial-like uh, feeling just through their music and their lyrics. My favorite song on the album Animals is Sheep, and this is it. Um, sheep are commonly used in literature to describe a type of people that are followers, that aren't leaders, people that go with the flow in society without questioning anything that is in front of them. And today in society, there are a lot of sheep. I'm not afraid to say that. Um, people that don't question anything in life, that just go with the flow, live every day like it's nothing and they don't realize how um, people in power like to take and for themselves and um, don't like to give back. 
um, this song talks uh, about people as sheep and they're oppressed and they're deeply um, oppressed to the point that they have no self-agency. And this song talks about the sheep rising up and overthrowing those in power. I think one of the most interesting um, ways it does this is it uses, uh, in, in, the, in the middle of the song, there's a sort of interlude where there's a distorted uh, voice talking about how we are sheep in the green pastures and how they will rise above. And <laughs> one of the funniest, I think my favorite funny Pink Floyd lyric is, we will master the art of karate and uh, something along the lines of bulge the bugger's eyes out. Uh, meaning that they will rise up and take what is rightfully theirs. Um, I think it's a great song. The ending is my favorite. I'll play a little bit of it. Um, we have this. I'll play this first. The main riff of the song. Boom, 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 boom. It goes from this. We have a sort of little interlude that I was talking about right here. And then later on, here comes the outro. Here it is. Beautiful. So what the bass guitar is doing right here I believe it's, yeah, they're playing E, the note E, and he's playing octaves of it. An octave is uh, the same note, either uh, a pitch down or a pitch up. Man, I cannot imagine hearing and seeing Pink Floyd perform Sheep live. I wish I would have been alive in the 1970s so that I could have witnessed Pink Floyd's greatness at their peak. So I think most of the album of Animals was building to that climatic wailing guitar solo of Sheep. And what a perfect way to end the album. It actually ends with an acoustic guitar solo by Roger Waters and him singing uh, Pigs again like a reprise of it, but Sheep is the climactic ending of the album. After Animals was released, and after they were touring with it for so long, Roger Waters' uh, frustrations started building even more. He was always tired of touring. He was a very irritable person, and throughout most of the band's history, he felt like he was looked down upon, like he wasn't getting enough recognition. David Gilmore was essentially the frontman of the band who would uh, sing most of the lyrics and play the amazing guitar solo that would uh, become Pink Floyd's most distinguishable features. But Roger Waters was the creative genius behind the writing of the lyrics, the writing of the songs. And yet he felt like he wasn't getting enough recognition for this. So that angered him. Um, he was al also felt like he was bullied by other bandmates. Um, so this was not a good mixture for Roger Waters, along with, um, many things happened in the Animals Tour that upset Roger Waters a lot. They went from playing small clubs and theaters to playing sold out amphitheaters, sold out stadiums. 
stadiums would pack 200,000 people just to see Pink Floyd. They were one of, if not the most popular band of the 1970s. And with everyone that wanted to come see them, it Roger Waters couldn't see anyone in the crowd. All he saw was a mass of faces. And it was the least intimate uh, performance experience that he could have imagined. He didn't want his life to be like this, where he wasn't seeing the faces of the people he was performing to. And the people he was performing to often angered him. And the Animals Tour, which was called in the In the Flesh Tour, people were lighting off fireworks in the stadium. And there's uh, recordings of Roger Waters yelling at these people, cursing them out for lighting fireworks during his performance. And when he's trying to sing his song, uh, Pigs, with the soft acoustic ballad, people are yelling and talking in the stadium, and he's cursing them, cursing them out, yelling at them, why are you talking during my song? Let me play my song. And at one point during a gig in Montreal, a fan tried to climb over the, the gate to the stage, and Roger Waters was so mad about this that he spit on the fan. And this became the main inspiration for the next album, the next Pink Floyd masterpiece, The Wall. Roger Waters had a very rough life in the beginning as well. His dad was a World War II hero who served on the Battle of Enzio for Great Britain and lost his life in that battle. He, the way I look at Roger Waters, he's a tortured soul. And he's a tortured artist and that might be the best type of artist it's sad to say that pain and misery can bring out great art but it so clearly did with him and in 1979 he let out all of his frustration all of his anger into the masterpiece known as the wall this is the first track off the wall called in the flesh and it might be one of my favorite pink floyd songs it is one of my favorite pink floyd songs of all time now the song talks about, it's basically an introduction to the larger uh, world of The Wall. The Wall is another concept album, and this album is very much a story that is influenced by Roger Waters' life, as well as Sid Barrett's life. He merges his and Sid Barrett's story into one, um, utilizing elements of both of their lives to tell the story of a depressed, a mentally insane rock star that loses his sanity. The next song on the wall is entitled The Thin Ice. And the thin ice is a metaphor for the sort of thin line between sanity and insanity and how society makes the ice so thin between sanity and insanity. It's a beautiful song with a beautiful piano ballad intro, first lyric sung, sung by David Gilmore, and then sung by Roger Waters. So it goes from this piano all the way to this wailing guitar solo at the end. Amazing. The next song in the album talks about Roger Waters' problems in his early life without having a father figure in his life. It's called Another Brick in the Wall, Part 1. His problems emerge here in this record. It, the wall serves as 
a telling of why he is the way he is. All the experiences in his life, they're just bricks in the wall, serving as a wall from himself and society. The next two songs on the wall, four and five, are the happiest days of our lives and another brick in the wall, part two. These songs talk about Roger Waters' struggles with teachers when he was a child and how much he hated them and how much they would hurt him for no particular reason other than to shame him. And these teachers served as another brick in the wall. So the image of the wall is supposed to symbolize a wall between the main character in the album, whose name is actually Pink Floyd. The wall is to symbolize a wall between Floyd and society and everything and people and relationships. He's walled himself off from society because of all the experiences he's had in his life. A a fatherless upbringing, a life uh, with traumatizing teachers, an uh, overbearing mother, which emerges in the song Mother, um, a wife that has cheated on him, um, which emerges in the song Empty Spaces, uh, a lust for women, which emerges in the song Young Lust. And then finally in the song One of My Turns, the 10th track off the wall, the main character of the album, Pink Floyd, finally slips into insanity. And it's conveyed through him meeting a woman at a, at a gig, taking her back to his hotel room, and then throwing everything in his hotel room around and breaking everything, falling into insanity. It's a very sad and chaotic song. I'll give you guys a quick listen to it. So that song transitions into the eerie song, Don't Leave Me Now. This song is about four and a half minutes. Not much really happens throughout it. You get this echoey, synthy sound with uh, Roger Waters singing, Don't leave me now. Don't betray me. How could you go? How could you leave me? And then at the very end, it slips into this guitar solo breakdown. next song is another brick in the wall part three and this song symbolizes the wall has been finally built each piece each traumatizing piece in pink floyd's life has culminated to the point where he has entirely walled himself off from society um and the next track on on the, the first record of the wall is goodbye cruel world and he's saying goodbye cruel world i've isolated and walled myself off from you The Wall is an absolutely massive record, and it stands at an hour 20. They fit every single piece of music that they could into this album. And the mixing of the album is probably the best mixing I've ever heard of any piece of music. It's There's so much layered into the album, and it's mixed so well. Um, The bass thumps, the guitar wails, the drums have a punch... And the keyboards are there just bringing you along for the ride.
since the wall is such a mammoth of a record, um, it had to have two records on it. A record can have about 40 minutes on it, 20 minutes on each side. So obviously it didn't have enough room to be on just one record. So they released it into two records. This is the first song off the second record, Hey You. Uh, I would say that the second, uh, the second record, the first side of it, is probably my least favorite side, uh, or the my least favorite part of the wall. A lot of uh, ballads, slow songs, but it does have the absolutely amazing song, Nobody Home. Very sad song. But the first uh, side of record two does have their most famous song of all time, Comfortably Numb. This song tells the story of um, the main character, Pink Floyd, being so drugged up and isolated from everyone that he's comfortably numb, that he's sitting there on a couch, basically just a vegetable, and just like Sid Barrett would become. Comfortably Numb is probably most famous for this amazing outro. It's about two minutes long, and it has one of the most rocking bass lines in all of rock and roll history, and one of the most famous guitar solos in all of rock and roll history. So the second half of the wall sees the narrator, Pink Floyd, turn inward into himself and focus too much on his feelings and how he became the way he is. And there's so much aggression within him that he uses this aggression to turn himself into a sort of communist dictator figure in his head. He, he views himself not as a rock star anymore, but as a, a communist dictator who will oppress people. And that's what the second half of the album is about, about how his uh, mental health has caused him to be an evil person. And that's covered in the songs In the Flesh, Run Like Hell, Waiting for the Worms, and then the album culminates in the last song, The Trial. Now at this point in the record, it's definitely evident, especially on the second side of the second record, that... The main character, Pink Floyd, has caused a lot of pain in his life by being this sort of communist dictator person who will oppress people. And he's put on trial um, by all the people who are supposedly bricks in his wall. Um, the teacher comes back in, in uh, the trial. His mother is in the trial. His wife that uh, cheated on him is also in the trial. And at the end of the trial... There's sort of a deus ex machina figure known as the judge that comes into play. And if you're not familiar with what a deus ex machina is, it's pretty much something that comes um, at the very end of a story to wrap things up. And the judge does this by telling the narrator, Pink Floyd, that he should stop uh, writhing in his own misery. That he himself has caused most of the trauma and hardship in his life. And... I think this is a perf the perfect ending to an absolutely amazing record. 
and he tells him to tear down that wall. And then at the very end, the wall finally gets torn down and the album is over and it starts the exact same way it, uh, or ends the exact same way it started. Meaning that the story continues. It's a cycle. It's never ending. When Pink Floyd would tour the wall, tensions were at an all-time high within the band. For most of the band's career, Roger Waters and David Gilmour did not get along at all. They were oftentimes enemies to each other, and it's sad because the two were such creative, powerful musical talents that it's sad to see that they didn't get along. But at the same time, the fact that they didn't get along also helped propel the band and lead them into a new area of musicianship that few bands at the time had reached. It's almost like the way I think of it as two titans going head to head wanting to create um, music that's so powerful, music that will stand the test of time. Each of them wanted to do this and each of them brought something to the table. Roger Waters brought his beautiful lyrics and David Gilmour brought his amazing musicianship, talent and emotional feel to the guitar. Nonetheless though, tensions were still high with the band when the wall was being recorded and when it was released and when they were touring it in 1980. The band didn't get along. Richard Wright, the keyboardist, was actually fired um, when the wall was being recorded. They fired him from the band, but still used him as a session musician for the, the recording of the wall. And then when the wall was going to be toured in 1980 and 1981, they hired Richard Wright again as a touring band member. So they were treating him with a certain disrespect, although they did fire him because of addiction to cocaine and possibly heroin. There was just a very high tense situation in, in the band. Nick Mason was pretty much the only neutral person in the band that wasn't um, causing any harm to the band. But the, the high tensions with Pink Floyd escalated to the point where and the band's final uh, cohesive album as Roger Waters, David Gilmour, Richard Wright, and Nick Mason. Uh, the final cut was their last album with all four of these members. And the tensions were so high that Roger Waters actually credited the album as a Roger Waters album performed by Pink Floyd. So he wanted such creative control with Pink Floyd that it would be solely about him and not so much about the other band members. He wanted the spotlight on him. And to a certain degree, I can understand and relate to him that most of the work of Pink Floyd is his, the, the writing is his, but what's not his is uh, the musicianship that David Gilmore, Richard Wright, and Nick Mason bring to the table. The band wouldn't be Pink Floyd without the three guys, David, Nick, and Rick. But it also wouldn't be Pink Floyd without Roger. After the final cut was released, Roger Waters left the band, and it, Pink Floyd basically became nothing like it used to be. Without Roger Waters, Pink Floyd lost all of its creative touch that Roger provided. I mean, they still had a couple good albums afterwards. They had an album called... 
a momentary lapse of reason, and then which was 1987, and then in 1994, the division bell. The division bell, I would say, is a little bit better than the momentary lapse of reason, but without Roger, I don't think Pink Floyd is as great as it could be with him. Roger went on to record some solo albums in the 80s that I think are lackluster, and it proves my point that Pig Floyd without Roger Waters is not what it should be, and Roger Waters without Pink Floyd is nowhere near as good as Roger Waters and Pink Floyd. There was a lot of legal struggle and legal battles between Roger Waters and the remaining members of Pink Floyd. David Gilmore, Richard Wright, and Nick Mason wanted to continue as Pink Floyd, and Roger didn't want that to happen, so he challenged them in court and tried to say that you can't be Pink Floyd without me. But um, David Gilmore and the rest of the band won that battle and continued uh, performing as Pink Floyd without Roger. Pink Floyd is a band marked by tension and struggle within the band. The members didn't really ever get along, but this helped create such powerful music. There was always, in between 1980 and the year 2005, there was always talk about Pink Floyd reuniting. People, their fans, they wanted Pink Floyd to reunite for a show. David, Nick, Richard, and Roger. And it took a very long time. It took 25 years for them to finally reunite. But at the concert Live 8... In 2005, all the original members, David, Roger, Nick, and Rick, they all reunited for one final concert where they would all play together one final time. This Pink Floyd reunion concert might be my favorite live concert I've ever seen on YouTube. It's so cool to see these old men that used to hate each other, they used to be in a band together create the same music that they made in the 70s once again it's beautiful David Gilmore has a sort of old grizzle to his voice he didn't have when he was younger but it's perfect it's so awesome to see all these guys here again playing live I first saw this concert when I was 6 years old actually in the year 2005 I remember watching it and thinking, who are these guys? and How are they able to make such beautiful music? And I think this concert is the first memory I have of real music. And for that, that reason alone, Pink Floyd is probably the band that will stick with me in life the longest. I'll always listen to Pink Floyd and think of life and think of the great questions that life is about I'll think about the memories I've had listening to Pink Floyd and I'll always appreciate them for their art and their music truly I think the greatest band ever made they'll stand the test of time alright everyone that is the end of this episode of the Devin Rogers experience the Pink Floyd episode I hope you enjoyed it Hope you enjoyed listening to some Pink Floyd music, learning about their history, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Tune in again next time. Thank you.